and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. Listen, y'all, considering we're in a room full of people, I understand there's many different types of fathers represented in this room. There's many different types of people in the room who have had different experiences with your own father, some good, some bad. But here's what I know to be true, especially as I look at statistics. Um, but, but God has authored and created this role of father, right? God's the creator of that role, of that calling. And dads, we want you to know that we desperately need you. Yeah. We need your presence, right? We, we need you in our lives. Um, as, as the years continue on, as fatherlessness becomes more and more common, we learn that we can do it without dad. But statistics would show when dad does his job, when dad fulfills his calling, when dad is present, when, da- when dad sticks around and loves, things are better. Things are better. Just a couple of statistics I found interesting. Uh, when dad's absent, uh, there's a four times greater risk that the kids will experience poverty. They're more likely to have behavioral problems. They're seven times more likely to experience teen pregnancy, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to abuse substances, more likely to commit crime, and they're more likely to go to prison. Now, when dad's present, on the flip side, things change. Kids are actually less likely to be mistreated his dad come beat somebody up. But I know there's some moms in here, so I'm beat somebody up too, amen? And y'all said, okay. The kids are more likely to do better in school. Outside of Marshfield, less likely to carry a gun, but you know how y'all are with that. So. They're less likely to carry a gun and deal drugs. Boys have fewer behavioral problems. Girls have fewer psychological problems when dad's around. And I thought this was interesting. Infant death within the first 28 days of life is four times higher for those with absent fathers. When dad sticks around, it helps bring us to life. God's God's purposed you, called, anointed, and appointed you to that position of father. Do it well. Do it with everything you got. Amen. Uh, We we see, dad, when when dad does his job, things things are better. Amen. Uh, So I shared this before, and y'all know I love y'all, but this was, you know, some early thoughts I had. I think it's hilarious that God put Abigail and I in Marshville, Missouri. I just do. I just think it's hilarious because Abigail spent time in Colorado, then she was out in California. You guys know I come from Rhode Island, was born and raised in Rhode Island, three hours outside of Boston, three hours outside of New York, New York, big cities. Um, you know, I grew up on the beach. So we came out. I, I remember when I first came out to the Bible Belt, it was for college. And I, I walked into McDonald's and they're playing Christian music. And I'm like, McDonald's is going to get sued. I cannot believe Dude, don't they know? Like someone's got to get arrested. How is this? How is this happening right now? Blown away that uh, they're playing Christian music at McDonald's. But then I recognize, oh, I'm in the Bible Belt, and this is what happens. This, this is, this is how it is. So, and I remember, like, even when I first got to a, a van, just culture shock a little bit for me. Okay, I didn't know people bedazzled their jeans and wore them, but they do. <laughs> they do. All right. And if you do, I think it's cool. So um, it's, it's totally fine. Um, but I remember thinking like, what, what am I, what am I, what am I doing here? And then, you know, year, years down the road, I'm seriously, I'm playing. I like the bedazzled jeans. I think they're cool. Um, 
But I was, you know, youth pastor in, in Republic. God, you know, God kept us out here. And I remember Pastor Dave, who's pastor in this house before uh, Abigail and I got here, he was stepping down and uh, Pastor Chad came up into my office and he said, hey, uh, we're really considering, you know, you and Abigail as the campus pastors out in, in Marshfield. And I was like, okay, you know, what an honor. I really, really appreciate that. Uh, in my head, I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going out to Marshfield, Missouri, man. Like, why am I, what would I do out, out in Marshfield, Missouri? So I said, but okay. He said, just come out with me on a Sunday. I said, that's, that's totally fine. You know, and I remember calling Pastor Dave in this process. And I said, hey, I said, I just want you to know, just keeping you in the loop. Felt like it was the honorable thing to do. I was like, we're going to come look at Marshfield. I think they're considering us for this position. But um, I want you to know, man, I'm like 97% sure we're not doing this. We're just... God's opening the door. I'm foolish not to poke my head through it and look. So whatever, we're just, we're just coming out. And, and, and y'all, we come out and literally we get in the car after and I look at Abigail. I'm like, what'd you think? She's like, I loved it. I'm like, I loved it too. And, and we have loved y'all ever since. We love this community. Love this church. It's, it's, it's really, really, it's really, really special. Um, but the reason I originally thought, God, God's been so good. Seriously, this has been the best season of life and ministry, and, it, and it's really been phenomenal, and we, and we love you guys so much. But, but part of the reason that I thought we wouldn't be a good fit out here is not because God couldn't call us here or that we couldn't have a fit, just that we weren't a fit culturally. That was my thought process. We are not going to fit the culture. I don't fix trucks. I don't hunt. I didn't hunt, right? <laughs> I don't fish, like, I don't do these things. Now, obviously that's highly offensive and Marshfield is more than like, you know, we just hunt and fish and that's all we do. And, but, but I had this kind of preconceived notion and, and, and really what I'm getting at is every community has a culture, right? Every community has a culture, a set of beliefs, core values, a, a language that they share. Um, and, and, and what we realize as believers is that we're a part of a kingdom that has a culture, right? Every community has a culture, but as citizens of heaven, we submit ourselves to the kingdom culture. You know, Paul addresses us as citizens of heaven while we're, while we're here on earth. We don't have to wait until we get there, but in fact, God's given us everything through the power of his Holy Spirit to live as citizens of heaven right now on earth. As Jesus followers filled with the Holy Spirit, we've been given everything we need to live as citizens of heaven, to take part in this kingdom culture. And this is why when I read through Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, as I go through it, I just want to drink it all in because what Jesus is doing is he's laying out the blueprint for what, it, for what the culture of the kingdom looks like, right? And I think it's important to know that Character is one of those things that establish culture. Character is one of those things that establish culture. So if we're going to live a life, if our life is going to have kingdom culture, then our character has to look like our kings. And what Jesus is laying out is, here's what it looks like to follow me. Here's, what I, here's how I live. Here's how I speak. Here's how I act. Here's my heart. I want you to adopt it. So the Sermon on the Mount is, is this beautiful illustration. And this is why, you know, of what it means and what it looks like, even practically, to be a citizen of heaven right now on earth. Uh, so it's this incredible, incredible 
tears. And this is essentially what our whole series is based around. You know, we, we've titled the series Kingdom Culture, and we're, and we're taking an in-depth look at Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, pulling out principles of, of what it means to live as a citizen of heaven in a kingdom culture. Now, dads, I, I want you to understand, and I want you to realize that there's a calling on your life to be the culture creator in your home. You've been called to be the leader. You've been called to set the tone. You need to recognize your role as a culture creator. And you're a culture creator for the good and for the bad. But if we're wise, we'll refer to Jesus' blueprint in the Sermon on the Mount and we'll establish a kingdom culture in our homes, right? Isn't that the goal? But again, I want to challenge you. Character is one of those things that establishes culture. So today we start week three of our series we've titled Kingdom Culture. Um, And everyone, but specifically men in the room, I want to challenge y'all with the thought to be a second mile man, a second mile man. If you got your Bibles, you can open up with me to Matthew chapter five. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount takes place in Matthew five, six, and seven. I also think it's found in a couple chapters in Luke. And uh, Jesus is talking here. This is at the very end of Matthew 5, verse 38 through 41. Really going to be my key scripture for the day. But it says this. This is Jesus speaking with his disciples. He says, you've heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is Jesus referring to the old law that's mentioned in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, one other Old Testament book. He says, but then Jesus says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, say right cheek. cheek. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it. Two miles. Everyone say two miles. Two miles. So there's a lot in this verse. Um, but in the Old Testament, we see the establishment of lex talionis, which is the law of retaliation. You have to consider in the Old Testament, you have the Israelites who have been in slavery in Egypt, right? And then they get set free. They, they cross the Red Sea. They get on the other side. And now they're in the wilderness. And it's like, here we are. They have to relearn how to live. No, no one, there's no city for them to operate in. There's no marketplace that's been established. There's no justice system that's been set up. It's them and the Lord. And Moses is like, God, what do we do? Right? We got we to figure this thing out. So we see God gets, you, you read through the oath. This is why you don't, y'all don't make it through Leviticus in your yearly reading is because it's all this monotonous and meticulous instruction on setting up essentially civilization, setting up a kingdom culture for these people, which who really have are kind of coming out of a somewhat barbaric culture. He's he's reteaching them how to live. One of the, one of the laws, one of the things God gives to Moses is this law of retaliation, lex talionis, which is actually a really great moral advance for the time. Now, a lot of us, we've read this scripture and we see, you, you know, Jesus says an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We've heard the famous Gandhi quote that says an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. And it sounds good. And it's like, yeah, we can't do that. But the reality is, y'all, we are in a broken world. And there is evil that exists. And people are out here doing crazy things. 
Justice has to exist while we're on earth. So an eye for an eye makes the whole world blind. Amen. I, 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 I hear it. It sounds good. But, but what happens, I can adopt that, but I can't ensure that everybody else adopts that, right? There has to be justice set up or there's chaos. These are thoughts we have to, we have to wrestle with. So when God implements this, when he gives us, some, when, when, when civilization implements the lex talionis, it's a great moral advance and for this time period, because this law recognized, because what this law recognized was that any eye was just as valuable as someone else's eye. Where before, you know, authority, higher-ups, it doesn't, if you're a peasant, your life doesn't matter. Your, your life carries no meaning. You are insignificant in comparison to here. What this law uh, allowed for culture to begin to uh, digest was the thought that the eye of a prince was just as valuable as the eye of a peasant. This was like the ultimate form or the new form or the first form of equality. That what this law, the, the eye for an eye code also revolutionized was who suffered the actual punishment because if someone broke into my house and, and, and killed my daughter, really what would happen before is whoever killed my daughter, I would go kill that person's daughter. Even though she's innocent, even though she didn't do anything. And, and what, this, what this law revolutionized was the person who committed the crime would then suffer the punishment. So it changed who, who dealt with the actual punishment. Um, now, the eye for an eye code, it prohibited the punishment that dealt or, or, or it allowed us to deal directly with whoever committed the crime. Um, so, so no longer would that daughter be killed. What this law also encouraged was instead of someone gouging out my eye and then me taking revenge into my own hands and taking the law into my own hands and justice into my own hands and killing your family because you gouged out my eye, this helped establish the system that would bring justice in, in a fair way that would essentially have the punishment fit the crime. The crime fit the punishment, where that wasn't always the case. Took some of the chaos out of the culture, uh, helped humanity to live in a more civil way. This was to essentially put in place, not to create more evil, but to prevent evil from happening, right? So believe it or not, this law of an eye for an eye the law of retaliation was huge progress in human equality and human justice. So when we see Jesus read this, Jesus isn't necessarily saying that an eye for an eye is, is a bad thing because let's remember his father created it, but Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. So, so Jesus, essentially, it's, it's like he's saying it, it, it's a good thing it, or even though it's a good thing, it's not the best thing. Really what Jesus understood, what he's trying to communicate is that the law might give you the satisfaction of retaliation, but it doesn't give you reconciliation within yourself. So you can go kill whoever killed you or, or, or killed your loved one, or, but that doesn't heal your hatred. That doesn't heal your heart. 
might, might feel good for a moment, but it doesn't fix the problem. What, we, what I love about Jesus and what we discover on the Sermon of the Mount is, he, is he's much more concerned with what's happening inwardly than, than what's happening on the outside. Jesus has our soul and our heart and mind. See, the law, the law took care of the surface level things, but Jesus wants to get to the heart of the issue. Jesus doesn't look at the outward appearance of man. He considers the heart. So Jesus, in giving these commands, he's trying to help us heal on the inside. He says, e- even though that's just, it, it, the law can't give you what love, grace, and mercy can. I'm glad somebody caught it. <laughs> Jesus takes it deeper than the law. Jesus just didn't, observed the outward redeeming that needed to take place, but he was most concerned with the inward redeeming. Jesus knew as he's speaking to this group, culture shouts, get even. Come on, they did it to you. Do it to them. And although that's just, again, it doesn't heal your heart, right? But Jesus is giving the blueprint for the kingdom culture. And what we have to trust in faith is even though I want to haul off and it's not the best way. It's not the best way. In faith, we need to trust Jesus' words. We need to submit ourselves to the kingdom culture because maybe Jesus knows a little more than we do. Amen? Jesus has given us the blueprint where he has our heart and our soul and mind. Uh, Again, I don't necessarily know that Jesus would say that it's necessarily bad. I just think, but we have to remember Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus is saying is just because it's good doesn't mean it's the best. We look at Matthew 5.39, Jesus continues. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Now, a lot of us have read this. Some of us have sat in sermons where we got taught, come on, if someone slaps you, let them slap you again. Stand there, you know? This verse isn't saying they're breaking into your house to kill your family. Well, I'm going to turn the other cheek. Go ahead and kill my family. No, that's not what this is saying. It was Jesus who said, you don't have a sword? Sell your cloak and buy a sword. That was Jesus who said that. So let's not forget that. Let's recognize that. (laughs) I got some amen by my own mom. You're you're sick. (laughs) What Jesus is addressing here is beyond the physical act beyond what happens on the outside. Jesus, once again, is getting to the heart of the matter. He's addressing what's happening on the inside. He's actually not addressing physical attack in this moment. He's actually touching more so on uh, an emotional attack. Emotional wounding is what Jesus is talking about. You're like, Mark, what are you talking about? They're slapping each other in the face. See, this is why we got to learn the cultural context because there's so much in it. I I love studying this and putting it together. My mind blown as I'm putting it together. Notice Jesus is very specific. What cheek? The right cheek. On the face, dads. All right, relax. Perverts. Just kidding. If I'm going to slap someone on the right cheek, why don't you come up here for a second? I want you to drink something really quick. No, I'm just kidding. I saw that look. Notice I make Duel make people drink the gross stuff, and I don't do that. We're, we're grateful for you, Duel. If I'm going to slap Duel on the right cheek, right? If I'm going to open hand him with my right hand, I got to like swing it around and windmill, windmill him. That's not, that's not practical. So if I'm going to slap Duel on the right cheek, 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to backhand him if, if I want to hit him with my right hand, or I'm going to have to slap him with my left hand. Right? You guys see that? Thanks. Let's give it up for Duel. So if you were to backhand someone in this day, it was, uh, it was you were sending a message that they were inferior to you, that they were less than, that you were above them. The only time you see someone get backhanded is when it's that master to servant type relationship. Also in this time, so that deals with the backhand. Now, the only other way we could hit the right cheek is with our left hand. And in this culture, the right hand is, I heard a pastor talk about it. People use their, their left hand to wipe only. Like, so this is like the poop hand. You know, I don't know, I don't know if that's true. I didn't find that in the commentaries. I didn't find it in the commentaries, but maybe it's true. Maybe he did. So you have your right hand, which is honorable, right? We're seated at the right hand. Jesus seated at the right hand. It represents honor. It represents dignity. It represents respect. Then you have your left hand, which is the opposite. So if someone was to slap you with their left hand, they're insulting you. They're hurting your feelings. They're, They're attacking you emotionally. They're saying, you're not as good as me. You're less than. You're worthless. You're no good right? Is a slap really going to hurt that much? It's more of this, this, this internal wounding that's happening. Now, again, culture screams, get them back. They disrespected you. Disrespect them. Oh, they hit you with that insult. Get a better comeback. Hurt their feelings more, right? Attack them. Jesus offers something better. Jesus says, give them your other cheek. My right cheek at the moment. Right? If they slap you on your right, give them your other cheek. So this doesn't mean just let them do whatever they want. See, now if you hand them your other cheek, this is, this is Jesus giving us instruction to deal with our conflict in a more creative way that takes patience, humility, but also strength. Jesus has turned the other cheek by lending the person our other cheek we remove their ability to slap us with their left hand or to backhand us. And this is genius because turning the other cheek, we force the other person to address us as an equal. The other person doesn't want to because they're trying to make us feel less than, trying to make us feel inferior. But if I stand there and offer my other cheek, now they have to deal with me differently, right? So now the insulter has to find a nonviolent way to solve the conflict. What Jesus is saying is when you get insulted, don't just retaliate out of hurt and and your wounded pride. Instead, respond with strength and honesty. Instead, Jesus is inviting us work towards reconciliation. Hey, you can slap me, but I'm going to stand here. Maybe, maybe we can, we can work, we can work this out. Hey, I'm, I'm human just like you, right? That's a lot different than, yeah, go ahead, beat me up. Jesus is inviting us to avoid retaliation, but to always seek reconciliation. If I just let you take me out, that's not reconciliation. That's not redemption, right? So here's the verse I want to spend. And ultimately, that's his heart because God's a God of reconciliation, you know? So here's the verse um, I want to spend the rest of our time on this morning, though. It's Jesus still talking, Matthew 5, verse 41. Jesus then says to them, to a, a Jewish culture, Jesus being Jewish himself, 
They're under Roman oppression, under Roman oppression, Roman rule, essentially. And uh, so there's Roman soldiers. When he's referring to soldiers, he's talking about Roman soldiers. And he says, if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. There had been a law implemented where Roman soldiers were allowed to have Jews who were seen as less than to them carry their stuff for a mile. And they came up with that distance of one Roman mile because Jews could walk only a mile on the Sabbath without breaking their own religious law. So they, they put into place, you have to carry their gear for a mile if they ask that. So um, Roman soldiers of the day were basically using Jews, belittling their work, and um, just using them as tools, right? Nothing, nothing more than tools. And Jesus, aware this is happening, aware this is a part of the culture, says, notice he doesn't say, stick up for yourself. Tell him, put your foot in the ground and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to carry your own stuff, right? Jesus doesn't say, sit them down, have a hard conversation full of grace and truth of how they should really carry it on their own. And, and it's not that they can't just use you as a tool. And that's not what he says, Right? Now, that may be what culture says to do. Culture says, rebel. No, you're not doing that. That's not what we do. Ah. Jesus says, they want you to carry it for a mile. Carry it for two instead. You really want to get them? Carry it for two instead. What Jesus is doing, he's inviting us to even see our own enemies as made in the image of God. Pastor Josh did an incredible job preaching on that, breaking that down for us. It was a slow creep, but it got there. Amen. Yeah. You know, I think something Jesus understood is, uh, yeah, you, we, can, we, can, we can do the law. We can, we can do what's expected. But that doesn't display love. We can do what's expected, but if we just do, when we go above what's expected, that is our greatest opportunity to show people that we love, to show people that we're a part of a different culture, that, that we serve, that we have a different king, that, that even though we're on earth, we're a part of a kingdom culture, right? So, so Jesus is inviting us, listen, if you go the extra mile, that Roman, I, I, just imagine what that Roman soldier's got to be thinking, pick up my stuff, stupid, ha, all right, that's the mile. No, I'm actually going to keep hearing it. Now we can keep going. Oh, uh -oh. okay, stupid. You know, <laughs> that's gotta, that, that's gotta, so, that's gotta soften hearts. That's gotta be thought provoking. That's gotta be like, wh why are you doing that? Because I love, I'm part, it's just part of my culture, man. Part of kingdom culture. This is what we do. We're different, right? Kingdom culture is different. As, as you read through, the entire Sermon on the Mount, it becomes inherently, inherently obvious that Jesus cares deeply about the condition of the heart in living out of love and acting out of love and speaking out of love and moving from a place of love. Jesus is essentially telling his listeners, hey, I want you to go above and beyond. In the kingdom, we go above and beyond. Does that sound familiar? Right? And that's why here at DCM, come on, we go above and beyond. Jesus is telling all of us, but, it, but, but also a, a special message for the men of this church this morning is I want you to be second mile men. It's good and it's expected. 
to do one mile, but it's best to do two. And I think that first mile, it represents, it's symbolic of just doing what's expected. But that second mile is that's our opportunity to show people the love of the Father. That's our greatest opportunity to show people Jesus. If, if we're going to, man, can I tell you how convicting it is to put a message together like this and then have to do the whole week, like ar- around my kids and, and my wife and, and my friends and be like, oh, that's not going the second mile. All right, give it to me. I'll do it or whatever. <laughs> I'm telling y'all like, whatever, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll get there. If, if we're going to cultivate a kingdom culture at DCM, we, we have to commit ourselves to going the second mile consistently, right? We have to. I was reading this morning. I actually wasn't planning on sharing this verse. I won't, I won't even have it on the screen. I'll just share it briefly with you guys. But out of Matthew chapter 20, uh, this is Jesus talking with his disciples. It says, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people. People who have authority, they, they, lo- they lord it over their people. They flaunt it, right? He says, officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. In this kingdom, our culture is different, Jesus is saying. He says, so he says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says, no, nah, I don't, you, you want to lead, sir. Jesus, Jesus flips it. Kingdom culture is different, right? Jesus is saying, go the second mile. Go the second mile. The culture of the kingdom is, is, is different. And Jesus modeled that. So I want to challenge us really three areas of our life. Jesus is specifically talking about revenge in in this portion of the Sermon on the Mount. But I want us to even adopt this into three areas of our life this morning. First is in our friendships. When your buddy throws an insult your way, right? When when your girl gossips about you or or whatever it might be, you know, how can we respond in a way that is us going the second mile? Us us not, not responding in, in how we're treated, but us setting the tone in the way that we treat others based off who our king is, based off how we've been commanded, right? Maybe, maybe your buddy says something hurtful, and instead of retaliating with that comeback that's better, that's going to wound him greater, right, we celebrate something about him. But, you know, chew on that, wrestle with that. What, is it, what does it look like for me to go the second mile in my, in my friendships? And how have I not been going the second mile in my friendships. The second area I want to challenge you in is, is with your family. How can we go the second mile with our family? I can't tell you the amount of times, you know, our, our kitty litter is in our garage. And I, I walk out the garage into my car every day. I can't tell you how many times I just look back at the litter and say, I hope Abigail cleans that. <laughs> Come on, can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? Like, isn't that a thought? See, to go to the second mile, though, is for me to just, I do it. Right? I do it. Husbands, maybe, maybe your wife has done something to frustrate you. Why is your, your husband has done something to frustrate you? Instead of retaliating or, or blowing up on each other, let's go the second mile. What, what does that look like? What does it look like? Dads with your kids, how can you go the second mile? And how have you not been going the second mile? Mom with your kids, how can you go the second mile? I want to challenge you guys with that. Third area is our faith. Maybe some of y'all said yes to Jesus. You go to church three to four times. Man, you guys can come. I'm bringing this thing to close here. That you attend church three or four times a week. You pray here and there. You read your Bible sometimes. You read one verse a day. Or you have your little daily devo. Or 
You do the one mile. You do what's expected. But in your pursuit of the things of God, you haven't gone the second mile. Maybe some of y'all carry the gear for one mile, but what would it look like for us as believers, specifically of men who, specifically men in the room, fathers, what would it look like for us to pursue the Lord in that second mile manner? I think something we clearly see in the Sermon on the Mount, something we learn about kingdom culture is that redemption and reconciliation is always desired over retaliation. And we see this echoed in the life of Jesus because Romans tells us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still rebelling, while we were still flogging him, while we were still beating him, he he went to the cross on our behalf. Amen. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us something we didn't deserve, right? But he knew, I can retaliate. I can retaliate. But instead he's offered redemption to us, given us the choice. You choose, it's available. It's available. Bible says if you confess with your mouth, you believe in your heart, Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. He's given us the opportunity for redemption. Amen. He's given the opportunity for reconciliation. He's reconciled us to himself. So, We believe, man, Jesus came, lived a perfect life, right? Killed, crucified. Uh, The sacrificial lamb took on our sin, gave us the opportunity to trade places with him, took us from darkness, put us in light, even when we didn't deserve it. But this is his love, so vast, right? So big, beyond our comprehension, right? Traded places with us, took us from darkness, put us in light. He says, if if you put faith in me, if you believe my sacrifice is sufficient, you'll be saved. This is by faith. This is by grace through faith, right? Our God went the second mile for us. And and, and we can even see in 2 Peter 3, 9, I've shared this verse with you guys a few times, but it says the Lord isn't really slow about his promise. As some people think, no, he's being patient for your sake. He's being patient. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. He wants everyone to be reconciled. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.